gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father it is good for us to come under thy throne of grace for as we come we, we acknowledge thy greatness thy glory, thy power, thy majesty for thou art worthy to be praised O Lord of hosts we acknowledge also our own sin our own frailty and weakness utter worthlessness but thou hast looked upon us with mercy and love what grace you showed forth in sending forth thine only begotten son and not only did he come to live amongst people like us but he came to die to pay the penalty for our sin oh we pray this night that this time together around your word will indeed be a hallowed hour a time when we hear what you have to say to us. When you speak to our hearts. When you hide your word in our hearts. When your word brings forth much fruit in our lives. And so we ask this night that thy hand of blessing will truly be upon our time together here for we ask it in Jesus precious name Amen now in the last two studies that we've had together we've been looking at John's Gospel chapter 14 And in John's Gospel, chapter 14, we read at the 16th verse, some very familiar words. John's Gospel, chapter 14, and verse 16. And I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you uh, forever. And we saw that this was to be another of the same kind, another helper of the same kind, one who would come alongside the disciples. Just as the Lord Jesus had during his ministry. We've looked through this chapter and it came to my mind in thinking over this. What would the Holy Spirit do? What would the disciples do? with the Holy Spirit as their helper, their comforter. What did they think would happen when the Lord Jesus went away? Remember earlier this chapter, Lord Jesus said he was going away and that's why he was going to send another comforter. What would the disciples think and what actually happened? We know that the Lord Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 16 and at the 18th verse and partway through that verse there I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He had told the disciples this. But what actually did the disciples expect to happen? Well 
when we come to the book of Acts and the first chapter there we find an indication of what the disciples were expecting verse 6 Uh, we see there that they were assembled together that's in verse 4 and he, he said there in verse 4 and being assembled together them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father which saith he ye heard of me for John truly baptized with water but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence so he again referred them to this promise of the Comforter who would come the Holy Spirit verse 6 when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying Lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel and I want to suggest that the disciples were looking for a time when they would be sitting upon their thrones and ruling over peace and prosperity when lamb was lying down with lion when they had the glories of the kingdom at its height with David and Solomon without the fighting of David's time without the slavery and the other things that went with it in Solomon's time that they had indeed heaven upon earth we might think that when the Holy Spirit was come this was what was coming like an easy life you might say a time of rejoicing for hadn't the Lord Jesus just demonstrated such victorious power in his resurrection and wouldn't it therefore be easy for him just to set up a kingdom do away with all that was wrong and the enemies and bring peace righteousness even mass conversion right across the whole kingdom and the disciples would have their positions sitting on their thrones perhaps this is something that they had in mind but this is not what the Holy Spirit was being given for this is not what the comforter would abide with the disciples for and if we see in the book of Acts here an outworking of what the Holy Spirit was given to accomplish of how the church would be built and tonight what I want us to do fairly briefly is just to take an overview on the book of Acts and viewing it trying to get that overall picture of what happened how and why how the Lord worked how the Holy Spirit worked um, possibly of some help I don't know this little leaflet 
gives a, a one version of an overview and on the back we have a map showing the journeys of the Apostle Paul which take up the second half of the book when we come to this book it's important to note that actually it's a book written to one man Theophilus Acts 1 verse 1 and it's the second part of the work that Luke wrote and told Theophilus you see the first part it would seem uh, that Luke wrote to Theophilus to explain the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus his life changing message culminating in his resurrection and ascension into glory and we tend to draw the conclusion from the change in greeting from in Luke most excellent Theophilus in Acts oh Theophilus the, the change in greeting is more familiar whereas in Luke's gospel it seems to recognize him in some official office that Theophilus has come to faith through the reading of the gospel being confirmed in the faith and that this is Luke's response perhaps to that news he writes this account now in chapter 1 we see the first 11 verses the Lord Jesus departure but before he departs he commissions them and we've looked at these verses some months back or some of us have anyway the Lord Jesus commissioned them in verse 8 there but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the utmost part of the earth the Lord Jesus commissioned them told them what their work was going to be about when the Holy Spirit was given they were going to have work to do and it was going to involve witnessing it was not going to be a time of doing nothing but a time of activity the second half of the chapter I would suggest is a time of preparation we see verse 14 they all continued with one accord in prayer they sought out a replacement for Judas and then in chapter 2 we come to Pentecost when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and again we have this note of unity they were all together they were all of one accord and this is when the Holy Ghost was given and there were signs of the Holy Ghost coming the sound as of wind cloven tongues like as of fire and they were filled and began to speak with other tongues and people heard them in their own language this was a, a miraculous demonstration of the new power that they had been given the start of a new era of witnessing and what happened well people didn't know what to make of it they thought verse 15 Peter says there for these are not drunken as ye suppose 
why they should think being drunk would enable them to speak in other languages. But they appear to have been filled with great excitement, uh, lively, filled perhaps with joy, and so forth, as well as speaking. And Peter takes that opportunity to preach. And he preaches this message. And what happens in verse 41? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. But you see, Peter's message is the main activity of witnessing on the day of Pentecost. He preached the word of God. We're not going to it now, but his message quotes from the scriptures. Uses God's word as a sword. And 3,000 are added to the church. 3,000 are converted. Because the Holy Spirit has come. Because the Holy Spirit is working through the preached word. This is the ministry of the church. Preaching the word faithfully. But you know when we read on there's no persecution. Not in response to the day of Pentecost. Not in response to this message to these converts. But that in some ways might seem surprising. After all, Jesus has just recently been arrested by the Jewish religious leaders they tried before their court sentenced to death at their behest and they're finished with it they put a stop to it it's over but it isn't but here there is no persecution in response But you know, it wasn't going to stay like that. Chapter 3, we have the healing of a certain man laying from his mother's womb. Verse 2. You remember now that uh, he's told, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, in response to this, we do see response to this and to the sermon which follows on there in the latter part of that chapter when we see how Peter there says, verse 14, for instance, But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer, to be granted unto you, and kill the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. There was persecution that followed on from this. Verse 4. And who did it come from? Who did the first persecution for the, the church in the New Testament come from? The Sadducees. As they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. And being grieved that they taught the people and preached, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see, the Sadducees denied the resurrection from the dead. They were the liberal element of the dead. They had control of the high office 
in Judaism. They were the liberals of the day. And they could not stand this preaching. Verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in hold. Let them arrested. And then we see Peter filled, verse 8, with the Holy Ghost. And he speaks unto them. He challenges them. Verse 9, that it's because of the good deed done to the impotent man. And he declares, verse 10, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, does this man stand here before you home? He's very, 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 very clear. Verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And that's the clarity of preaching that's needed for our modern age, isn't it? Today, all around, there's a plethora of other messages. Anything but the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But this persecution is limited. Verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered and said, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, who cannot but speak of these things which we have seen and heard. Verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all glorify God for that which was done. You see, there was a popular recognition of the working of God. And just as in the earlier days of the Lord Jesus' ministry, when there were Thoughts of arresting him, but the people saw him as a prophet. Here, they threaten the disciples. They tell them to be quiet, but they don't punish them because of fear of the people. Do you know the disciples? What was their reaction to this incident? They prayed. They went in verse 23, they went to their own company, they reported. Verse 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They had this unity in prayer. And this is a common theme throughout. We have this unity in prayer. And they pray that prayer there. And verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. You know, when we're faced with threatenings and told to be quiet. We need to pray for that holy boldness to proclaim God's word, to proclaim that truth which some want to keep quiet. And that should be ever our response. And this prayer that was answered. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. This unity even expressed itself in a voluntary sharing together of what they possessed. Verse 33 then, with great power, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. unity would not be true of heart in all in verse in chapter 5 there we read this very sad account of Ananias and Sapphira who pretended to sell a piece of land and give all the money you remember how Ananias fell down and gave up the ghost. Then in verse 8 we read that after, verse 7, after about the space of three hours, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. You see, Peter gives her a personal opportunity to put things correct. What did you sell it for? And she confirms what Ananias had already said. She confirms the lie. And she too dies. Verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many as heard these things. You see. There was. A great rejoicing in the Lord but also great fear. For God is holy. Not to be lied to. They had great blessings. Miracles were seen. But also there was this immediate judgment upon those who had abused the situation. This isn't something we hear about too much today from those who claim the miracles. It has to be said. It isn't. They don't talk about people being struck down dead for making false claims as these did but this is part of it in that special time after Pentecost we have an awesome God we should have that reverential fear within us of him Verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. There was a powerful work taking place. As they witnessed. Souls were converted. They were added to the church. And the name of Christ Jesus was magnified. And we read there, verse 15, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There also came a multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. Some of them. No. Not some of them. Healed everyone. 
And these were people upon whom only Peter's shadow passed as he walked by in the street, in some cases. This was truly amazing. This was an unrepeatable period. Nowhere are we told that that would continue. Nowhere are we told. Folk need to be honest about that. This was a time of special blessing and outpouring. But what happened? They were arrested again. And all they, then, verse 17, then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him which is of the sect of the Sadducees and were filled with indignation. You see, they didn't like what was happening. The Lord sent an angel to deliver them. Verse 20, go stand and speak in the temple. And they taught there. But they were arrested again. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Well, what happened? Something surprising. A Pharisee stood up. Gamaliel. And said to let these men alone. Not because he believed the Lord Jesus but nevertheless let them alone and if they are of God it would be wrong to touch them if they are of man it will disappear was his philosophy but his advice was listened to you see at that time the Pharisees were not persecuting the church Gamaliel is a name that we hear in connection with Saul of Tarsus. For he was taught by Gamaliel. So, this time, they're going to be let go again. But, there's a slight change. Verse 40 there. When they had called the apostles and beaten them. You see, this time they were beaten before they were let go. And as you can see there, there's an increase. The church has been growing, the witness has been growing, but so is the persecution on the other side then we have the account of Stephen disputing and declaring and he's arrested he's false witnesses and he preaches and he takes them through their history in chapter 7 and all about how different things had happened and he accuses the nation of having refused Moses there at verse 35 Moses who verse 37 which said unto the children of Israel a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me him shall ye hear this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. You see, he's saying, you rejected Moses. Moses said, 
the Lord Jesus would come, you rejected him. And he goes through. And he tells them that they've got it wrong. That God isn't worshipped and it doesn't live in a temple made with hands. A temple like which David prepared for and Solomon built in verse 47. Verse 49. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not resisted? Not your father's persecuted. You see, Stephen does not pull any punches. He puts it to them straight. And what happens? They kill him. Persecution has moved to a new level. And who was involved in that? Chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Then we have the account of Simon. The sorcerer. And his involvement with Philip. And Philip went to the city of Samaria. And then we have Philip. With the man of Ethiopia. how he was reading in his chariot the scriptures and Philip showed him the scriptures and pointed him to Christ in chapter 9 we have Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter you see Saul was of the Pharisees the Pharisees had now turned against the disciples of Jesus Christ and he was going about seeking to arrest them. But you see, this was something in Paul's case that would be stopped in an instant. The Lord is able to deal with his enemies in his own way. We do not need to resort to swords or guns or violence. The Lord can deal with his enemies. In Saul's case, he stopped them in an instant. And converted his heart. And Saul, who had been an instrument of persecution, would become a teacher and evangelist. And that's what we see throughout the second half of this book. After Peter has been shown that vision in chapter 10. Uh, in chapter Peter's vision of this uh, Basket laid down in chapter 10, verse 11. A certain vessel descending unto him, all manner of four footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice said unto him a second time, What God hath cleansed, that wilt not thou call common? This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again. But you see, the Jews were not allowed to eat certain foods, 
and certain animals. And they were not allowed to eat with people who did not follow those same rules. They were kept separate and pure, at least outwardly, through these distinctions over all the years. But now, Peter is being told, there's going to be no more Jew and Gentile. No more unclean. And they can all be brought together. And then we see Cornelius the centurion is converted and baptized. Moving on through there in chapter 12 we see Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church and he killed James the brother of John with the sword because he saw it pleased the Jews he proceeded further to take Peter also but you know this evil man would also be dealt with by the Lord and dealt with most severely but we note there verse 5 what was the response of the Lord's people Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God before him. And Peter there is delivered. But you know, this man Herod had a terrible end. Verse 21 of chapter 12. And upon a set day Herod arrayed in royal apparel. Sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout saying. It is the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Because he gave, God not, gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms. And gave up. Of the ghost. You see, God dealt with the enemy his way. And then we read, and the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And in the start of chapter 13 we have Paul and Silas are set apart by the church at Antioch. Set apart for the work of mission. Set apart to go out with the gospel. And they do. And we see that on the map we have. They went out on a journey from Antioch, which is quite a bit north directly from Jerusalem. And they proceeded out around part of what is now Turkey. and called at different places and preached the gospel. They went first to the Jews, and when they were rejected, they preached to the Gentiles. And they moved through place to place. And when they'd come to the end, they went back to Antioch. And they reported on the work that they had undertaken. And then Paul is sent out again. And he goes and visits the same places. And he goes further and visits new places and he preaches the gospel. He preaches the gospel. Local assemblies are established. Elders are ordained. 
in some places, often indeed, is persecution. Is persecution. And he moves on to another place and he preaches the gospel. And he persecuted him. He moves on to another place and he preaches the gospel. Some are converted, some oppose. And he returns and he gives a report. And he goes out a third time. And he goes further. The same pattern. And during his ministry, he spends a lengthy period at Corinth. But eventually, his third journey ends. But this time, he feels compelled to go to Jerusalem, in spite of warnings given, in spite of clear prophecy given. And he goes, and he says, I am ready. I am ready to die. And he is indeed arrested. But, even under arrest, what does he do? He gives up. No, he doesn't. He ministers God's word at every opportunity. Over an extended period. He appears to have spent some two years in one place. And some suggest that perhaps that's when Luke may have written the gospel. I don't know. And finally, where does he end up? In Rome. And he has two years in Rome. Doing what? Preaching God's word. Right at the heart of the empire. This group of disciples who've met together secretly in an upper room. They turned the world upside down since the Holy Spirit was given. They've witnessed boldly. Multitudes have been converted. Local assemblies have been established throughout the empire of Rome. Providentially, the common empire had provided opportunity of transport and communication to bring the gospel to every part. And here it is at Rome. And the Apostle has been able to preach it to all sorts. Sometimes on trial, sometimes from his house, sometimes in prison. Multitudes, from a jailer to a business lady, to an Ethiopian ruler. All sorts of people throughout the book of Acts have been converted. Now the book closes there. Acts 28 verse 30 And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No man forbidding him. You see God used through his providence, circumstance to give Paul opportunities to preach and to teach. And Paul took them and presented God's word. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's building his church today. We are his witnesses. We have his word. 
We can rely upon the Holy Spirit to work upon the hearts of those who hear the word of truth and to bring glory through the name of the Lord Jesus. Through the preaching of the word, through the salvation of souls. Let us go forward with the same confidence as that the apostle had. Amen. Gracious Lord, thy word is truth. Thy word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Oh, we do pray that indeed you will give us this boldness that the disciples had, that we've been reading about this night. That we might have full confidence in thee and in thy word. To bring its truth today. We are surrounded by multitudes who know nothing of the Lord Jesus. Who know nothing of thy wondrous love and mercy. who know nothing of this glorious resurrection. Oh, we do ask that indeed you would work in our hearts, that we might go forward with that unity in thee, confidence in thy word. If you love me, Keep my commandments, the Saviour said. Oh, may we indeed cry unto thee that we might have more love, more obedience, more boldness. In Christ Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.